You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Trinity Church Denver. To find out more about Trinity, visit our website, trinitychurchdenver.org. Um, if, if you're not a regular here at Trinity, uh, you'll know, or you may not know that I'm not the, the guy normally up here on a Sunday morning. Uh, so Brian Brown is our ministering elder and pastor. He is uh, away this weekend, so he's enjoying a little bit of time off and some time, uh, frankly, to, to do some uh, prep for the rest of the spring. So my name is Justin Riley. I'm one of the parish elders here at Trinity, and it is my joy to, uh, to get to preach this text to you this morning. So um, we, Ryan, uh, who was just up here reading, did a, a great job preaching last week on Epiphany. Um, if if uh, the church calendar maybe is not something you're super familiar with, we, we talk about this um, somewhat regularly around this time of year, but uh, Epiphany follows the 12 days of Christmas. And so uh, Epiphany, epiphany um, means or indicates a revealing, and it is at its core a manifestation, and it's a manifestation of God incarnate, a tangible revelation of the creator of the universe, and uh, in, in that, his divine provision of salvation for mankind. This, uh, this is akin to unwrapping the, the most awesome Christmas present, right? When you were a kid, or maybe you're a kid now, uh, maybe you have, and hopefully all of you have, a memory of that moment when you discover the incredible thing that you've been given. Maybe it's a thing that you were longing for, didn't even know you needed, or didn't imagine you would ever actually get. Um, but now this thing, uh, this gift belongs to you. Maybe you recall your response in that moment. Uh, Most often, it is uh, overwhelming gratitude or thanks. The the title of today's sermon is Celebrating the Greatest Gift. And so, uh, as you maybe think of a memory of yours, I'll share a couple, uh, or at least one memory of ours. Um, A few years ago, I remember, and I still have a a video of this, um, this, this may be a sort of milestone in our parenting tenure of like, yeah, we, we got this one right. Like this was, a, this was kind of a highlight. Um, but there was a, a Christmas a few years ago. Uh, we had just moved into the home that we're in now, and it was um, not as nice as, as it is now. Uh, it, was kind of a, it was kind of a dump. Uh, when we moved in, and, and so it was a little bit rough. Like we knew that we were putting the boys in a, our whole family in a situation where uh, we were living in the basement. Um, Brady uh, affectionately refers to it as the dungeon, and we were down there for like five months in the dead of winter. It was a little bit of a tough slog. So this was like a highlight in that season, where that Christmas we brought the boys up, uh, and it was snowy, and they came outside, and uh, we're kind of wondering why they're outside. They're looking around, and um, by God's grace, I did. I, I caught this on video, and I'm, it's like it's a precious memory. The boys turn and they see a trampoline sitting in in the backyard, and both of their faces were just shock and awe and amazement. And I went, "Jesus, that's good." Um, and so, and and then immediately they were just, they came over and like gave us huge hugs and were super thankful. And that was a moment where you're like, "Okay, this is the kind of thing that that." Uh, reminds us how awesome gifts can be and why like that moment when that thing when it sinks in like you could watch the processing on their face like wait what 
is that, is that a trampoline? Is that ours? Like, you could kind of watch these thoughts flying through their heads. Um, and, and then the joy and gratitude, just the thankfulness that flows from receiving such an incredible gift. So here's a, here's a contrary moment um, or a contrary example. Uh, we, I, I don't know if, if you've read Harry Potter, if you're familiar with the, the story or the books or the movies or whatever. Um, and I, we don't have to go headlong into any of that. But we did, our family got to go as a gift. Uh, we were given tickets to see uh, the Colorado Symphony on Friday night. And they show the movie and then they play all the music of the movie. And I will just tell you, we don't spend a lot of time uh, going to the symphony. This was, like, remarkable. It was super fun. Um, but in that story, in Harry Potter, this is the first, the, the first movie or book. Um, Harry Potter has a cousin named Dudley who is uh, all the things you don't want your kids uh, to be. And he, it's his birthday. They bring him, uh, his parents bring him in, and they show him, like, this mountain of presents. And Dudley pitches... Uh, a grand temper tantrum because, and he hadn't even, uh, he hadn't even opened a single one. He hadn't even really looked at them much. And he looks to his dad and says, how many are there? In a very demanding uh, sort of tone. And his dad says, 36. I counted them myself. And he pitches this fit and he says, 36. Last year I had 37. Why don't I have more than last year? Like his response in that moment to what was a ridiculous mountain, a truly ridiculous mountain of gifts was not anything close to gratitude. It was all of greed and incontent or discontent. So there's two contrasting sort of responses, uh, and and I'll point back at that again uh, here in a little bit. So as we consider Epiphany, Epiphany was Friday. uh, We're in, as I mentioned, Ryan did a great job sort of walking us through, hey, what does Epiphany mean? Why is it significant to us? Um, this text actually helps us. It is instructive to us in such a right response to the most astounding revelation, the manifestation of God himself, Emmanuel, God come to be with us. And so that right response is worship and worship in gladness. This text of Psalm 100 uh, gives us just a beautiful instruction of what that ought to look like. So first, uh, I'm going to do a quick flyover, give you a little bit of structure, um, and then we'll kind of walk through the text. There is, in Psalm 100, a direction to worship. There is a directive. You ought to worship um, as, as the people of God. And not just, hey, you should worship, but also, helpfully, how to worship and why. What we see here in this text, as Ryan read it, is that there is singing, there is uh, joyful noise-making, there is submissive service, giving thanks, and blessing. So how are these to be done? Well, it's very clear that these should be done, and in fact are a response out of joy and gladness. And why? Why? Because the knowledge of God, the awareness of who he is, what he is like, his attributes in nature, the the plainly stated facts that he created us, cares for us, and that he is unchanging, all of this is rightly responded to with glad worship. So the way that this is laid out or structured 
um, shows us that the result of learning the truth about God and who he is, the result is joy and gladness and thanksgiving. It's a shaping of affections or loves, which then leads to action, which we see uh, as singing and serving and worshiping. Uh, I was familiar, I had a, a good um, friend who was a counselor. In, in fact, one of the, one of the most um, gifted counselors I've ever known who, uh, who, who sort of demonstrated or uh, described a pyramid of sorts. So if you can imagine with me, since I don't have uh, a whiteboard or something to draw on here, if you can imagine a pyramid or, or sort of like a, an iceberg um, that, that sort of informs or helps us to understand how are we, uh, what motivates our actions. So at the very bottom, the, the base of that pyramid are uh, your beliefs, like what you believe to be true about a thing. The, the next layer, uh, if you will, above that is your affections, your loves, and your desires. Okay, so those two things are below the surface of what is visible to the world around you. And then at the peak of that, or if you will, the tip of the iceberg that is visible above the surface are your actions. So, the description here, or what this illustrates, is what you believe to be true informs what you love and what you uh, desire. It shapes your affections. And then outwardly, your affections, your desires, uh, informed by your beliefs, motivates how you act, how you behave. And so this uh, psalm is structured in such a way as if we look at uh, verses 1 and 2, these are affections and actions being described, and they're actually informed by the knowledge of God shared in verse 3. So verse 3, if you will, sort of provides the foundation, and then what flows out of that is what we see in verses 1 and 2, and then it's repeated. So in verse 5, we see a description of what God is like that informs the, the affections and actions uh, described or commanded in verse 4. So the way that we're going to look at this this morning, all of that was just uh, sort of teeing you up for how, kind of how I want to uh, walk through this text with you this morning. So we're first going to look at verses 1 and 2 and 4. What are the things that, that, that we are commanded? There are a bunch of verbs in here that, that instruct us, that direct us uh, how to, what, to, uh, what to love and how to act in accordance with that. So we're going to look at those and then we'll look at um, what informs that, verses 3 and 5. So beginning in verse 1, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. So this is worship in the form of song. We talk about this actually quite regularly here at Trinity, that music is a remarkable gift. It, it bears the ability to express emotion and passion even without words and made more poignant with words. Now you've all likely, hopefully, experienced this uh, about music. Uh, uh, maybe it's a song that weaves some words, uh, a lyric into your heart or into your mind or into the fabric of who you are. Or maybe it's a particular lyric that sticks with you because of how it is set in song, in meter, or in a melody. Uh, or, or maybe it's just simply the unique delight found in a beautiful melody. Uh, we, we see courage swell in the hearts of men preparing for battle in song. 
This is embedded throughout history. We see the walls of Jericho fall in song, in uh, rather loud, joyful noise made to the Lord. So you see, music is in itself a beautiful gift from God and one that is not optional for us as his people. Now, maybe you don't, maybe you don't know how to play anything but the radio. Maybe you don't have time to take banjo lessons. Maybe that's not a thing that really uh, thrills you or interests you. That's okay. <laughs> we don't all need to, to learn how to play the banjo. But we must recognize that this text calls us, it, it, in fact, it obligates us to wield music joyfully and unto the Lord. It is in song and in music, in making a joyful noise, it is, in fact, an expression of worship. It is an expression of joy and gladness. So first, make a joyful noise to the Lord. The second verb here in verse 2 is serve the Lord with gladness. You see, service unto the Lord is an act of worship. Paul describes this in the first verse of Romans 12 where he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present yourselves as, I'm sorry, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul is not instructing God's people to, to physically lay themselves on a physical altar to be slain. That, that entire framework and structure had shifted with the sacrifice of Jesus. So what is he asking? He's asking for you to, to use, to take your physical and mental, your physiological capacity, your ability, the talent and gifts, the body that God has given you, your voice, your, your mental capacity, the work of your hands, to take all of it and lay it before the Lord as service unto him. This is worship. Other uh, examples throughout scripture, Isaiah's experience recorded in chapter 6 of Isaiah. Isaiah hears the voice of the Lord asking, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah's response is one of offering himself. He says, here I am, send me. This is a commissioning. This is a point where Isaiah is saying willingly, take me, use me, take my life, my uh, capacity, my, uh, the decisions that I make, the direction of wherever my feet take me, it is yours, O Lord. Use me as you will. Another example, uh, in, in just a slight, um, slightly different demonstration, is Abraham offering Isaac on an altar. The key, uh, Isaac is the very, the the key to the promises that God had made him. And and yet, Abraham demonstrates obedience and faith as service to God. He is willing to sacrifice this key to the promises that he's given him. He's willing to to sacrifice or, or, or hold with an open hand before the Lord. This thing that you've given me, this promise that you've given me, not just the slaying of his son, it, it's what Isaac represents in that moment. And he says, as an act of worship, I will be obedient. 
I will offer to you the greatest gift that you've ever given me. This is service unto the Lord. It is an act of worship. Worship uh, is not just the, the musical time on a Sunday morning church service. It is far, far more encompassing than that. It is an offering of your life. The various vocations that God has set before you uh, as a husband or as a wife or as a son or a daughter, as a, um, as a sibling or a friend or a coworker, whatever it is, whatever the vocations are that God has set before you, um, this is, uh, worship is willingly and joyfully acting in obedience to whatever it is God has called you to do. Serving the Lord as an act of worship with joy is, in fact, coffee making and spreadsheet making and construction and policing and parenting and homemaking, all of it, all of it done with joy as a son or daughter of God, is worship, it's service unto him. Second part of verse two directs us to come into his presence with singing. So the direct implication here is that singing is an act of joy and gladness, distinct from making a joyful noise, but related to it. Over Christmas, we read the story of uh, Mary out of Luke 2, the mother of Jesus, going to visit, I'm sorry, this is Luke chapter 1, it's a very long chapter, um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, coming to visit Elizabeth, and before even getting to tell Elizabeth like what, what is happening, what the Lord is doing, uh, the Holy Spirit comes over Elizabeth and, uh, with a blessing for Mary. And what is Mary's response? It's a song. We know it as the Magnificat, but she opens her mouth and her heart and outflows what I can only assume is one of the most beautiful songs ever to be uttered by human lips. Her, her, Mary's heart response, her, her physical response in that moment is a song of thanksgiving and of joy. Now again, I know I know that there are people, maybe even some people in this room, and I'm not going to look at anyone in particular here, maybe who would say that they aren't musical or aren't musically gifted. And maybe, maybe, for some, that's true. I'm not looking at anyone. I'm just going to look at my notes here. Uh, that's irrelevant to this command. The command is to sing, whether you're good at it or not. Now, ought we to use the gifts that God's given us? Ought we to pursue excellence in, in uh, stewarding God's gifts to us? Absolutely. Yeah. But this, that, that does not negate this command, even if you don't have an ear to hear what's on pitch or not. Unfortunately, what, what has shaped so much of the evangelical church, particularly in the West over the past several decades, is to professionalize singing in church. As if we should only leave the singing up to the most talented people. And this is why the evangelical church uh, has seen things like uh, music shift 
the music time in a, a worship service shift to turning the, the, the lights down low, uh, to, to turning the volume of the professionals up on stage all the way up to drown out the music or to drown out the maybe pitchy voices that may be scattered, sprinkled throughout, maybe only one or two, in a congregation. It comes with the fog machines and the video cool backgrounds that float along behind the words. All of that is shaped around engineering an emotional, individualistic experience. That, to be super clear, is not what God's calling us to here in Psalm 100. He's calling us to come into his presence. This is the language describing the people of God gathered. This, friends, is us here this morning and every other Sunday. When we come gathered as his people to worship together. This is a call to sing with joy, gathered as the saints in the presence of God. So when Brian, as he is apt to do, stands up uh, before us as a congregation and, and implores us to sing vigorously. Now I will just say to you, if you've not been to a Be a Good Man night, uh, we sing. We, we, in fact, sing most of the times that we are gathered in, uh, in any context here at Trinity. That's not an accident. We do two things. We eat. You guys probably familiar. Maybe you've caught on to this. We eat. We join around a table. And we sing. Because we're commanded to. As a family and as God's people. But Brian often, and, and he really hammers this home on those uh, Be a Good Man nights. I think he's, you know, maybe a little heavier handed with the men because we need that from time to time. But all of you have probably heard Brian stand before you and say, sing vigorously and with great joy. He, he's maybe a little bit more of a presence than I am when he says that. Um, but we have to recognize that what he is doing is calling us to joyful obedience to such a command as we see here in Psalm 100 to come into his presence with singing and to do so with joy. I'm going to drop down to verse 4. Um, as I mentioned that structure earlier. So he calls us to make joyful noise, to serve the Lord with gladness, to come into his presence with singing. And then we'll skip to verse 4. To enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. To give thanks to him and bless his name. God has given us the gift of existence. You, you're alive. Like, I know that this sounds super basic, right? And, and it is. But often, we have to go back to the basics, blocking and tackling. Just the basics. You're alive. You woke up. This, your eyes opened this morning. You sucked in a big breath of air. Maybe you had kids jumping on you. Maybe you uh, got hit with a, a giant beam of light through the window that startled you awake. Like, whatever it is, you woke up and breathed. You got here. We need sometimes super basic reminders. For those of you who have kids, sometimes they need basic reminders. Don't put that in your mouth. Please, <laughs> leave it on the ground. Like, if you don't have kids, here's just tuck this away, okay? If your kids are really, really little and they're not putting things in their mouth yet, just write it down, tuck it away. You're going to have to tell them things like, don't pick it up off the ground and put it in your mouth. It's a syringe. What's a syringe? 
Sometimes we need really, really basic reminders. Friends, this is one of them. To give thanks ought to be uh, not just a thing reserved for here on, uh, on Sundays when we say thanks be to God at the conclusion of a scripture reading. It is a way of life. So in our thankfulness, there are those things which we are naturally thankful for. Uh, a trampoline, perhaps, on a Christmas morning. Um, there are other things that are much more difficult to give thanks for. Uh, the memory just popped into my mind of um, maybe another Christmas gift. Like, so me and my brother-in-law made a deal fairly early on. Like, he, they didn't have kids yet. We had kids and they were very small. Um, and we made a deal pretty, pretty early on. Like, hey, if you don't get me toys for my kids that are super noisy and obnoxious, I won't do that to you. So, the boys got like great gifts, presents and Legos and Books and things that aren't, um, aren't noisy. Um, sometimes maybe some of those more obnoxious gifts are, are, th- are more difficult to give thanks for. Um, it, it maybe they're more difficult for your parents to give thanks for. Um, but seriously, God's providence means that there are difficult gifts that he gives. They are all from his hand that are going to be more uh, challenging for us to give thanks for. And we ought to give thanks We all enter his gates and his courts uh, with something troublesome. And the intent is for us to carry those gifts, uh, the difficult as they may be, with thanksgiving in order to present them to the Lord for his service. Praying with gratitude that God would use those difficult gifts for us uh, and his glory. All things, all things are to be given thanks for. The bountiful ones are the easy ones. So you may have financial trouble, you may have job trouble, or uh, maybe you have a difficult relationship with a parent or a child or a sibling or a coworker, whomever. All of these are to be presented to the Lord in his presence with gladness. God, use this difficult gift for your glory, to shape me to be more like you, to teach me what it is like to to demonstrate love and generosity and patience. This is only accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, this is what I read right before the confession of sin today. It declares to us, reminds us, commands us to rejoice, to pray without ceasing. And in everything to give thanks, in everything to give thanks, for this is the will of the Lord. Friends, you're going to have trouble anyway. So so why would we think that, um, that having an ungrateful heart will make it any better or easier? Maybe that difficult gift for you is a loved one straying from the Lord or a, a, a tough medical diagnosis. I, I don't know. But your sullen, unhappy, and downtrodden attitude isn't going to make it any better. It's not going to be compelling to the straying loved one, and it's not going to make you well. Rather, we are, as Ephesians 
520, uh, Paul reminds us to give thanks always for all things. There's not a loophole here. There's not a gap. These are absolute terms. Give thanks always for all things. That does not mean it's easy to give thanks for some of those things. It does not mean that those things are delightful. It doesn't mean that they're not sometimes really, really, really hard or difficult. That they don't sometimes leave you bewildered. And yet, the command to God's people is to give thanks always for all things. All of these actions are to be animated by joy and gladness. What if it's hard? What if you don't feel joyful, you ask? First, let us be careful to distinguish our feelings from our affections and our loves. I can and do love my wife dearly, more than any other human on the planet. And not necessarily feel that warm and fuzzy of our dating days all the time. I love her dearly. But it doesn't always feel that warm, fuzzy. Even better example, Jesus went to the cross. Hebrews tells us, for the joy set before him. Think about that for a second. Jesus endured the most horrific torture and death on our behalf, in your place, for the joy set before him. It doesn't negate the difficulty of it. it doesn't, that, that doesn't somehow erase that moment where we see recorded in Scripture before he's arrested, where he asks of the Lord, urge, like earnestly, Please, God, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, may it be so. Is there another way? Just checking. And yet, we, we, we see that, that, that in that, uh, in what Jesus endured, there is obviously uh, pain and discomfort beyond words. And yet, what it reveals to us is what motivated him. Is joy. Let that shape how you see the difficult circumstances in your life. Maybe you're also, maybe you're reminded of Job, who uh, had all the things, all the earthly possessions that a man could have in, in bountiful abundance. The Lord strips it away, and what is Job's response? Though you slay me, I will praise you. Though, God, in your uh, sovereignty, you've given abundantly, you may take it away. I will hold it with an open hand. And even if you take all of it away, even if you take my very own life, I will praise you. I will recognize you. I will, with joy, honor you as God. I will bless your name. This is not easy. But helpfully, 
Mercifully, God gives us some direction, a framework to inform where that joy and gladness comes from, which we will see next. This is a collective call to action, to make music, to sing, to serve the Lord, and to give thanks. All of that is predicated on and informed by the knowledge of God that we see described here in verses 3 and in verses, uh, verses three and 5. Beginning with verse, verse 3, he tells us, Know that the Lord, he is God. The, the command, the verb is to know. Know that the Lord, he is God. He, he continues, It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. This knowledge of God shapes what we believe about him. And in turn, all other things, by the way. And and this knowledge then shapes our affections, our loves, and shapes then our actions. So what does this text say about God? This knowledge of God uh, begins with, the Lord is God. He is unlike Holy and completely unlike any other. He is um, unto his, himself alone the creator and sustainer of all things. If he did not hold together your very being, you would cease to exist. If he did not hold together the molecules floating around in this room that you're sucking in and breathing, you would not be alive. He holds it all together. He alone, of all the hierarchies that you've ever studied or are familiar with throughout all of history, he sits alone at the top of all of them. He is God. He made us. He holds our very existence in the palm of his hand. We belong to him. He owns us. We are his people, his subjects. We like sheep and he the shepherd. Went to the stock show yesterday. I don't know. We didn't see any sheep, unfortunately. Yeah, whoop, whoop. Yee-yee. That's the, I think that's the phrase. Yee-yee. Um, I, don't know if, I don't know if you've spent any time around sheep. Uh, for those of you who, who know me, uh, I, did, I grew up on a farm and ranch in northeast Colorado. We didn't have sheep. Um, we couldn't tolerate their stupidity. So uh, this says something to us, right? There, this, this wasn't um, arbitrary. We, we are sheep. Sheep need to be uh, cared for, protected. They, they have to be kind of shown, hey, here's where to go eat. Uh, they're, they're really just not bright creatures. Um, and, and listen, I, so I, I, I don't know how this, um, this reality of who God is and what it says about who he is and, and the implication of what it says about who you are or who we are, but for many, Christians or not, being told that you are owned by someone, that you are not the ultimate shot caller in your own life, that you are in fact subject to another, 
and that you are not capable of caring for or defending yourself adequately, that you actually need tending to. Some people don't like that. Friends, this is a, this is a narrative that our culture rails against. It actually calls into question the core of who people are when they put their hope in their own independence. And so what we find here is a steep watershed. There's a, this is a divisive point where when people are confronted with the truth of the reality that all people are created by God and that we belong to him. And he can do and will do with us what he wills. There are two very distinct and different responses. This is the watershed. On the one hand, utter rejection and sprinting headlong into individuality, independence, into a, a, a humanism and relativism on the one side, the Dudley response if you will. And on the other side, this beautiful and stunning call to know and believe, to have one's affections and desires and behaviors animated by and dictated by joy and gladness with gratitude and obedience. This is the response we see in Mary, in Isaiah, in Abraham. Verse 5. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Church, God is good. Good is a moral term, which we don't often use uh, that way. This is not the same as when you're asked how school was or how your day was. Any parents in the room ask your kids, hey, how was your day? Good. Number one response. How was your day? It was good. Great. Can you give me any detail? <laughs> Break it down for me. Maybe uh, this, this is not the same as uh, how was your day at school or how was your day at work or uh, hey, what did you think of the eggnog at Christmas Eve? Oh, it was good. Often, I I don't think, we mean that uh, when we use that term in that context, we don't mean that our day or that drink was of pure ethical or righteous nature. Might be a righteous. It was a righteous eggnog. That's not what we mean. But that is what God, what this text means in this moral term to describe God. It is uh, that in, in describing God that there is no, not even the slightest hint of evil in him. His goodness tells us of his uprightness, his justice, his absolute, total rightness. God is good. And his steadfast love and faithfulness are enduring. There will be no end to them. There is no time in the future where he will stop being loving or faithful. His love in seeking the objective good will never end. This 
is our Lord. His faithfulness beyond our comprehension. In real estate, we often say everyone has a number, right? There are the, the limits that every human has of what, what will cause you to, to be unfaithful. What will, what will motivate you or push you past the point where you can withstand some type of temptation? Friends, God is, his, his faithfulness is boundless and extends to all generations. It will be true for as long as humanity exists. This is what God is like. This beautiful gift of understanding who he is, what he is like, what we see in these verses motivates us. This is proper obedient and acknowledgement and celebration of the greatest gift that God has ever given to his people. That we know God, that we pursue knowledge of him in faith, believing that he is who he reveals himself to be in scripture and in so doing, Find that he is faithful to remake our hearts, ordering our affections, and enabling us to walk in joy and glad obedience to him. We don't do right things so that God will love us. We act in obedience as a response to this stunning generosity that he sent his son to rescue us, and to redeem all of creation. This is what it is like. This is this beautiful uh, text to teach us how we ought to celebrate the greatest gift that we've ever been given.